Hey, aloha, everybody, and welcome to Coffee with Coach. This is our post-draft special. We're going to take a detailed look at the draft with a couple of our draft gurus. And before we get to that, though, we're going to talk a little ball. Big news, obviously, the games now have been decided. The opponents have been selected. And we're looking at the Giants and the Packers. This is amazing. Again, two of the most iconic franchises in NFL history are going to square off in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, this is, again, one of those ones that people said not too long ago, this will never happen. You'll never get the Packers on the road in an international game. Well, it's happened. They're coming, and they're going to play the Giants. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you got the Vikes and the Saints also at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And in Wembley, the Jags against the Ponies as the Orange Ponies from Denver roll in. So what's your take on that one, Michael, as a, as a diehard Big Orange fan? Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. But, like, the games, like I really like to see the games. I love that Giants game in, in Wembley, um, seeing two first-round draft picks for, for New York going in. Obviously, seeing what Daniel Jones is going to be like this year as well for the Giants, it's going to be completely different than New York going to Lambeau. So I, I can't wait to see that. But, yeah, obviously, delighted. Uh, the Broncos coming over, it's been 12 years. And that Minnesota-New Orleans Saints game is tasty. Uh, and the Germany game is quite nice as well. So uh, it's all good. It'll keep us busy over the next few weeks and months. And I know, are you coming to Munich? Yeah, are you coming over? Well, we'll see. we'll see. We'll see. But I think, too, that it's interesting. First game ever played, first football game ever played in that stadium. And obviously, you're going to have Tom Brady and, and – uh, what I anticipate will be a much improved Seattle Seahawks team. I, I really think they'll be much better next year. They, I thought they did a great job in the draft. And then in Arizona, excuse me, Arizona and San Francisco playing in Mexico City. And that's a big one in, from the international standpoint because Arizona is trying to make uh, you know, inroads into the, you know, the Mexican market. This is such a great thing for those teams that want to you know, make – headway in, in international marketplaces. That, again, that's one of the reasons why Tampa Bay, is, uh, which has staked Germany as one of its territories, uh, that's why they're playing at home in Alliance Stadium in Munich. It will be a huge weekend of football. And, and I think a whole week of festivities all around. I'm really looking forward to the Munich games. Michael, are you guys going to head over there? Yeah. I've, I, I booked the flights a month ago whenever the U.S. consulate leaked it. My wife thought it was a complete idiot. So uh, she's like, why are you booking flights and the game hasn't been announced? It's been, I'm just glad everyone's now, like, I mean, it leaked anyway. All, like, like, I don't know. I woke up yesterday morning, the whole thing had leaked. It was ridiculous. But, um, yeah, look, looking forward to it. I can't wait for Munich. And I think, yeah, Tom Brady's the, the first ever quarterback to play in four different countries. Is that the correct term or something? Uh, England, U.S., Me Mexico, no? Mexico and now Germany. So I, I don't know. I'm presuming that's... It's either Mexico or Canada. I don't know. I didn't see the stat or the direct co correlation of that. But um, that game is going to be nuts. The fans are going to be nuts. And I'd go as far as saying I think Munich will have more than one game. Or sorry, Germany will have, Germany will have more than one game very soon. But, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think you're very far from the truth. I think that you're going to see there'll be there'll be five games in Europe very very quickly. And obviously they're going to they're going to continue to. You have games in Mexico City because it is a huge population base. There's a well-developed football community in Mexico. 200-some college teams play college football in Mexico. So, uh, again, I don't anticipate that that's going to be a, a situation that's a one-and-done. That'll be a per perennial deal. Hey, um, 
I know you in your other job and uh, when you're working for the Irish NFL, you guys had a number of Denver media people on to talk about the Broncos coming over here. What was the general tenor of what everybody had to say? If I can imagine my teaching job, because they were all talking to you last week in school about Jeff, <laughs> who's Jeff. Uh, yeah, they're, they're already excited. I found out last Friday it was happening and to try and sort of keep quiet was really, like, really hard. But, like, they're really, really buzzing. A lot of them haven't even been to London before, so it's it's really interesting to see their, their sort of viewpoint on it. And there's some outlets that are going to sort of go big, and there's there's guys that are trying to get their own bar and stuff for the week. So I'm... I'm excited. I know you've got a couple of guests that are going to, that are going to recap the people's draft tonight. That was great crack last week. So, um, yeah. Who's coming on? The people's draft was actually outstanding. In some ways, I preferred it to the regular draft. And, you know, there was a selection in the people's draft that was exactly the way it fell in the NFL draft. And that was at number 20, the Pittsburgh Steelers took Kenny Pickett, quarterback, from Pitt, and that was called out by our Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and great job by them anticipating exactly what their team would do. Stuart Love, first. shout out to him. Stuart Love. Stuart, I tell you what, he is tuned. He is so tuned into what's going on in Pittsburgh, and I don't know if you saw, but uh, he tweeted out him going off the field after Big Ben's last game, and the, the biggest thrill to me of the whole draft was seeing the selections being made by uk fans and um i thought that was outstanding um the both the ones in las vegas and the ones in the studio at sky and everybody that participated in that did an outstanding job and and uh, i met i had an opportunity to, to meet the guys from 49 faithful uk who did who you know who announced the pick and you know they were they were like buzzing before they they went down there to announce the pick so but it was a great draft it was a lot of fun now let's bring in our gurus our draft gurus right now to talk a little a bit about the draft um you know ali hodgkinson has been with us all uh draft pre-draft segment stacking his board helping us you know stack our boards and and providing information as has cameron hogwood from uh sky sports nfl who is a draft guru in his own right and has deep ties to the draft and to who he's a big blue Giants fan. So we're going to we're going to go a little little in depth with that Giants draft which I thought was an outstanding one. Guys, I'll start with uh, I'll start with you Ollie. What was your number one takeaway from the draft? What was the thing about the draft that that you know you'll remember in years to come? I think one of the, the greatest thing about this year's draft was we went in expecting it to be the most unexpected, most unpredictable draft of potentially all time. And that's exactly what we got from day one all the way through to round seven. I don't think there was, apart from your man Stuart Love picking Kenny Pickett for the Pittsburgh Steelers at 20, obviously, guy must have a crystal ball. I, I don't think anyone, once you got past... Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson at one and two, which is the as the days leading up to the draft kind of ticked by, that felt like it was going to be how one and two played out. And even Derek Stingley at three to the Houston Texans in the in the hours before the draft, that kind of felt like that had been solidified. But after that, it was 
an absolute free for all in terms of the trades, the the picks that we weren't expecting, the players that were still available after day one going into day two, some of the guys that flew off the board day two and day three that you you kind of looked at and went, I don't, I don't know about that. And I just I, I just thought from from top to bottom it lived up to the expectation that you could not expect what would happen next and you could not predict what would happen next. So for me, I think that was was one of the the most exciting things because we talked about this on this show coming leading up to the draft that people had derided this draft class because of the quarterback situation. People are going, oh, this is a bad draft class. Oh, this is going to be a boring draft. We, we've seen, you, you, you know, ESPN, I'm sure Sky can attest to this as well, NFL Network, the numbers leading up to the draft, the interest in the coverage of the draft, has waned through this cycle because of the quarterback situation. And a lot of people turned off from this draft and went, do you know what? This is a bad class. I don't want anything to do with this draft. Let's look to 2023. And what you got was excitement from start to finish. And I absolutely loved that it lived up to that, um, that expectation of unpredictability. Well, you know what? It's interesting you say that because um, if you if you tuned out from this draft, you, you were the loser in the draft because it was i mean there were so many twists and turns nine trades more trades than we've ever had in history which changed the entire complexion of the second round so i i thought it was a you know again i heard all that speculation is you know it's the least sexy draft some somebody called it the least sexy draft in the history of the draft i, I whoever said that was you know must have had their sunglasses on because where i was where i was standing it looked pretty good to me cam Let's talk about what your number one takeaway from the draft was. Yeah, I think, I think first I was going to say something similar to Ollie in terms of it was predictably unpredictable in the end, in terms of that's how we thought we were going. I think something that stood out to me was we talk about the depth of the, the pass rush class and maybe the offensive lineman class. And what became clear was that teams not only had different grades on players to some media, but to each other. And then we kind of see Jermaine Johnson, people talking about a top 10 pick maybe the, the days leading up and he goes kind of late in the first round, later, later than I thought he was going to go. And someone like Cole Strange, who nobody had kind of going first round, except from the Patriots, because that was their top graded guy, you imagine. And he kind of, you laugh at the video of Sean McVay saying, oh, we, we wasted time watching this guy because they thought he'd be there. And that was kind of one of my big takeaways that the grades were so varying. And that's maybe testament to the depth and in terms of the talent people knew they could get further down the line. Uh, yeah, obviously, Oli kind of said that, but but probably my biggest takeaway is that if you're a, a high school football player growing up, become a wide receiver. If you're fast <laughs> and you can catch a ball, become a wide receiver because what we kind of saw the value of a wide receiver fluctuate over the years, but I, I don't think it's ever been as high as it is right now. And the flip side, interesting flip side to that is that because we're in such a golden age of college wide receivers now, even though kind of we see players on rookie deals demanding these veteran contracts, maybe like an AJ Brown or a Debo, it's tough to bargain that money because you know the next year you could draft a first-round receiver who is your starting guy for the next 10 years. And that is kind of the, the bittersweet of being a wide receiver, that there's so much depth. So that kind of negates your your argument when you're, you're trying to get that big contract. So that was probably a, a big takeaway for me. No, I think that's exactly what happened with AJ Brown. You know, they, they just basically said, okay, you know, we're not going to, we're not, and I don't know if philosophically the Titans were ever going to be an organization that's going to escrow a bunch of money for guaranteed contracts, which is what they have to do now. <clears throat> and so, you know, they just said, all right, there's a light comparison in the draft. 
we can get him at a fraction of the cost. And now, again, that's a risk. There, there is risk in that because you're trading, you're trading the rights, or you're trading a proven player for the for the rights of an unproven player. And that's, you know, again, a speculative market, but that's the way it is. I mean, you're dealing with the cap. You're dealing with the guaranteed contracts. There are a lot of things about this that uh, really will contribute, I think, to continually making the draft unpredictable. Before we go on, I want to touch on a couple of uh, things that we've gotten from fans, um, you know, as, as we want this always to be the fan show. And there have been some people that have weighed in. Jackie Melrose says, She's a Vikings fan. She says, I think the Vikes had a pretty good one considering two newbies in the hot seat, picked up what seemed to be some decent players, and strengthened a few areas. Again, when you uh, send these tweets in, please let us know where you're from so that we can get that out of there, uh, get that out there too. Um, I had another one here from Dave B. He says, think the Texans had a fantastic draft, fixed a lot of gaps, certainly strengthened. Good to see Casario making good decisions and trades. I'm not used to this as a Texans fan. So again, look, if you send those your tweets in or your con- your comments in, either Michael or I will get to them. All right, let's get started on this now. Um, when we look at the single most um, the single most favorite player that went in the draft and where he went. I'm talking about not just the not just your favorite player in the draft, but the selection that you thought was the best selection in the draft. Ali, who who did you like? I think you can't really go wrong if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan looking at Kyle Hamilton at pick 14 because I mean that that for me combines who was my favorite player in this class. We talked about this on this show. Kyle Hamilton was my number 1 overall rated um, player fell to 14, which is a great value for the Baltimore Ravens um, in a in a defensive scheme where they know how to use Kyle Hamilton. They're going to know how to use Kyle Hamilton. So for me, I, I really love that selection for him. I'm not a huge Ravens fan. I hope that doesn't offend anyone that's listening. But for me, the Baltimore Ravens, A, the landing of, of, of Kyle Hamilton, but their entire draft class for me, the Baltimore Ravens, were the winners, really, of the 2022 NFL Draft. When you look at Kyle Hamilton at 14, you look at Tyler Lindebaum, you look at David Ajabo. Now, obviously, there's the injury question mark. Does he come back from that, the, the injury that he sustained at the Michigan Pro Day? If he does, the Baltimore Ravens have got an absolute steal at 45, a guy who can impact off the edge for years to come. Then they plug in Travis Jones. Baltimore were linked throughout the process with Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis obviously went to Philadelphia Eagles. The the Baltimore Ravens potentially got a better Jordan Davis with the 76th overall pick in this draft with Travis uh, with Travis Jones out of UConn. What a, an absolutely phenomenal pick value wise there. I look at Jalen Armour Davis for me out of Alabama, who was an underrated cornerback in this class. They picked up the best punter in the class. They picked up one of the best tight ends in the class. One a great running back in Tyler Beatty at 196, top to bottom. The Baltimore Ravens hit it out of the park, um, but for, for me, Kyle Hamilton landing there was um, was a great spot for both player and team. I, I you know, I, it's interesting. Eric DaCosta just has continued on the tremendous draft evaluation work and selection work and working the day because there's a lot of things that go in. There's a lot of moving parts in the draft, but Eric DaCosta has continued 
Ozzie Newsom's tremendous drafting. And again, I think the Ravens are poised to have a huge bounce back here. We'll talk about that a little bit more in detail. Cam, for you, the number one, the number one uh, draft pick that you like, the, the selection that you like the most? Probably something that stood out to me in the first round was Zion Johnson to the Chargers. I just thought they, they've made no secret that they are, they found Justin Herbert. He's their winning formula and we're just going to build around this guy. And you kind of date it back to the off season as well. And kind of rushed on Slater last year. And it's just everything thrown at making sure he's in a position to succeed. And kind of you look at later in the draft as well, I think sixth round, they got Jamari Saylor, who, who was obviously a, another depth option on the offensive line. And I just love the way the Chargers have really committed to, to supporting Justin Herbert this offseason. I think to Alec Pierce, to the Colts, second round, third round, possibly. That was one of my, one of my favorite picks. I think he is, we, we saw him rise through the pre-draft process in terms of his stock and what he would offer as an all-round target. And I spoke to Desmond Ritter about it, and he just said the guy, the kid is an absolute freak. And we kind of saw it at the Combine. I know we, we don't take too much from Combine, but that fourth year surprised a lot of people, I think. And yeah, I, I love that pick. And, and Kyle Phillips to the Titans late, later in the draft as well. I thought he's a really, really nice slot option. All right, guys. Hey, Mike, can you bring up Fred Flunk's uh, tweet there just a second ago? He had a question about um, Fred Flunk from Ireland says, Evening, Tribe. As a Cowboys fan, I'm disappointed in J.J.'s draft. C, maybe C+. I'd have a hard time giving him a C+. You know, I, I, I just, when I look at the, you know, what they did with the first pick, that was a shocker. Not a shocker. I guess that's too strong a word. But, you know, that guy's going to have a, that, if they think he's going to plug and play at left tackle, it's going to, Dak, Dak Prescott better get his insurance policy, you know, heightened I, I that is that one was a kind of a whew, boy shit, one of those shots I don't think they were bad in the draft but I just don't see any there's no selection that the Cowboys made that I go wow that's the guy that's going to fill an offensive line need right now uh, that kid's a that kid's a good player but again remember now if I'm not mistaken I I, I and I know I'm pretty close to the true to the truism on this one if he didn't lead the nation in penalties, he was one of the most penalized offensive linemen in college football. Now, one of the issues that the Cowboys had last year was what? Penalties in the offensive line. And so you go out and draft a guy who has issues with, you know, whether it's, you know, roughness penalties, rough play penalties, holding, offsides, things that get you beat as a football team. And you know, their selection of the edge kid from Mississippi, you know, here's a kid that's, you know, was um, suspended for a sexual assault issue, never got charged, got re reinstated. Um, and Jerry had come out prior to the draft and said <coughs> that they were going to look closer at character after some of the issues that they've taken or issues that they've had in, in recent history. So uh, the Cowboys draft to me, guys, was kind of a just a meh, kind of OK same old Cowboys deal. Yeah, I think you look at Tyler Smith and you look, for me, you look at the selection of Matt Walletsko later in the draft. And for me, that's that smacks of Tyler Smith being a long-term option at guard. So you've used the 24th overall pick on a guard um, and a guy who isn't a natural guard. Um, and, and one that, like you say, Jeff, has got issues with penalties. I think between um, Tyler Smith, Sam Williams, and there was another penalty, uh, another penalty laden, um, selection within the Dallas Cowboys 2022 NFL draft. They've got a hell of a lot more penalties than what they started the, the preseason uh, 
off-season draft pre-draft process with. Um, so I think yeah, Tyler Smith probably is is a guard now for the for the Dallas Cowboys. Sam Williams, I, I love Sam Williams the player. I love the fit for the Cowboys. He, I wrote in my my post-draft analysis of the Cowboys draft that. Sam Williams was a Cowboys pick in both the best and the worst kind of ways because he's an incredible pass rusher, fierce, athletic, powerful. For for a kid who came from the JUCO level, very well um, refined at times in his pass rush um, approach. But there is the off field stuff, and and it's significant off field stuff as well. And and so the best and the worst kind of draft prospect for the for the Cowboys in terms of a fit. Um, I, I like some of the stuff they did in the later rounds. John Ridgeway, we talked about Jordan Davis earlier. Jordan Davis was um, another, the Cowboys were another team that were linked heavily to Jordan Davis throughout the pre-draft process. They got a guy in, uh, John Ridgeway later in the round, who isn't quite the same imposing physical specimen as Jordan Davis, but he's you know six foot five, big tall nose guard, who um, plays with pad level better than his size, very good lateral athlete in the same way that Jordan Davis is. Potentially, for me, poses slightly more pass rush upside than Jordan Davis. So I like that. I like Damon Clark in terms of what you will get in the future with Damon Clark. You're not going to get him this year because of a spinal injury, but as a result, you get him in the late 160 range. So you've got a guy who can plug in and play at linebacker in years to come. You're just not going to see the immediate um, potential from him. And I, I like Jalen Tolbert, the right wide receiver out of South Alabama as well big target who can um, make yardage after the catch and go up and get it at the catch point. So I think it wasn't, it was, it was certainly could have been better for the Cowboys. And it, I think once you pick Tyler Smith at 24, it was difficult to get the grade much higher because well, that, 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 that first round pick, you want to see an instant impact out of, right? He's got to be an impact guy. And, and, yeah. and again, my, my question or my point is much like other years, it's been how many years since the Cowboys went to the Super Bowl? So it's it's got to be twenty five, right? So in that point, how many times have we seen the Cowboys have players with character issues, right? They have penalty issues, right? They draft guys with with injury histories, and then those players, you know, Jalen Smith, uh, Van Der Esch, they don't, those guys aren't going to be, they're not going to be in football, right? So you're taking guys who have character flaws and you're taking your guys with injury issues. And I'm just telling you, history is the greatest predictor of the future. And when you take those kinds of guys, especially character issue guys, they don't get better when you make them millionaires, Right. And, and so you make, you make those guys millionaires and then they're even harder to handle and they're more inclined to go off the rails and injuries are injuries. If, if they can't be healthy through the, through college football, the pounding that you take in college football, fellas, it's a whole nother level of physicalness when they, when you get to the national football league. So you're taking a guy as I said, like Jalen Smith or like Van Der Esch that were hurt when you drafted them, had injury history, and look where they are today. So I, I, at some point, I think that you got to learn from from history. Cam, what's, what's your take on a Cowboy draft? 
Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I'm interested to know kind of how much the, the Randy, Randy Gregory kind of leaving played a part in how much did that change plans? And obviously, did it kind of sit in a panic mode where they go out and get Sam Williams and it's like, oh, we, we need an edge rush guy. And here's a guy who we're not too sure about, has off-field problems, but all the talent in the world. And it's one of those, I don't know, maybe feels like a, a rush kind of pick. I'm not too sure. And then it's similar, you, you feel like you need to, to fill a gap with, with Jalen Tolbert after losing Amari Cooper. And yeah, I, I it's like you say, it wasn't the glamorous draft class where it stands out, but you, you're kind of waiting for it to, to kind of exceed expectations, I guess, which is something they can fall back on, I imagine. All right, somebody that I think really exceeded expectations, or at least as you look at the draft grades come in from Mel Kuyper through everybody that I've seen that's done it, there's been a consensus amongst you guys, amongst draft Knicks and draft gurus, that Kansas City hit it out of the park. What's your take? I would agree. start on this one, Cam. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, probably my favorite pick in that class was uh, Leo Chanel. I just thought he really stood out to me. And what we saw his stock rise and rise and rise throughout kind of the, the later months and weeks going up to the draft. And I just think the idea of him with, with Nick Bolton and a Willie Gay at linebacker, it just makes you a really solid core for the next, next decade, you'd hope. All three really smart, smart players, physical players. Leo Chanel is an incredible athlete who we kind of saw can, can move laterally really well, a really good athlete. He can play coverage if he needs to be. We kind of saw him creeping up to the line of scrimmage at times, and I think that offers a real interesting dimension to the Chiefs' defense. And especially when you're pairing with George Karloftis, who kind of comes in and adds that extra extra bit on the edge and keeping Melvin Ingram as well. You just look at this Chiefs defense and suddenly it's a it's a strength of this team. And I really did like their draft. And Josh Williams as well, coming from Fayettesville uh, State, really nice player. And like we kind of talk about the, the different grades, they obviously had him higher than than other corners at bigger schools, which which maybe is testament to the amount of detail they've looked into him. I just I love that they they really went to town on strengthening that defense. And because you can trust, even though you lose Tyreek Hill, there are there are a few general managers you trust in the league to, to compensate for a loss that big. And Brett Veach is someone you would you would trust to kind of fill that gap. And when you've got a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, you can you can take a step back a little bit and think, look, we've lost an amazing player, but he, he can make up for it in some ways. And I mean, Sky Moore, we talk about Sky Moore, that was maybe one of the best value picks in the draft. And I just think he'll he'll be an immediate impact player for the Chiefs. So I, I love the Chiefs draft. How about you, Ali? Yeah, it was. Um, you talk about Sky Moore. This is a kid who is explosive in all directions. Um, and to get him where they did at, at 54, because th this is a kid that some people were talking about, especially as the wide receiver class progressed, and especially as it progressed through day one, where we saw a lot of guys fly off the board early. We had that run on wide receivers. Sky Moore was a guy that attracted first-round attention towards the back end of the pre-draft process. So for him to still be there at 54, a guy who can come in and, and stretch the field vertically, can take the short stuff to the house, um, I thought it was a great pick. George Kalafters perfectly fits what that Kansas City Chiefs defense wants to do. They want a big, strong, solid defensive end. And to get Kalafters, who was my fourth-ranked edge rusher, um, at pick 30, I think you see it on the, the call, um, the, the Kansas City Chiefs made to him. They did not expect George Kalaftis to still be there at 30. So they'll be they'll be thrilled with that. Trent McDuffie, a guy they allegedly never even had in the building, um, I thought was an interesting pick because he's a slightly smaller cornerback than, say, a guy like Kyrie Elam, 
And I think the Chiefs would benefit from having a, a tall, long cornerback, outside cornerback, um, like Kyrie Lim. But, you know, we talked about Trent McDuffie, I think, when we did cornerbacks on this show. All the athleticism in the world, physical, gets gets up there at the catch point, despite being slightly smaller, not quite as long in the arm as some of these cornerback prospects that we've seen in this class. Um, so the, the Kansas City Chiefs clearly love Trent McDuffie. I think a lot of Chiefs fans thought their wide receiver was a lock in the first round. But when you look at the, the Kansas City Chiefs and the roster that they had, I was always of the impression that you could not come out of day one without a cornerback and an edge rusher. And that's exactly what they did. And, you know, even late in the in the draft, Isaiah Pacheco, the running back out of Rutgers, I love that pick at 251. Um, a guy that was kind of under the radar, but he's a real um, interesting prospect, great pass catcher out of the backfield, um, shows speed, showed that at the, the combine, but you see it on his game tape. He's very um, blessed with explosiveness. He's got good speed. Um, I think Isaiah Pacheco is a guy who a lot of Kansas City Chiefs prob- fans probably didn't know coming into the draft, but they'll know now. You even look at Darian Kennard at 145. He wasn't he was not a guy that I was super high on, but there were people talking about Darian Kennard as being a day two guard uh, offensive tackle in this class. And the Kansas City Chiefs went and got him at 145 in the fifth round. Um at a position where they've they've got Lucas Nyang at right tackle. Um, but I think having a guy like Darian Kennard, a big, physical, aggressive um, offensive tactical prospect to develop. He'll be allowed to develop at Kansas City. I think that's uh, that was probably a great value pick for them as well. You know, that's interesting with, with you taking a guy like Kennard because, you know, the reality of it is you've got to constantly backfill your roster with young kids that you can develop. And so that when, you know, the guy in front of them comes in with his hand open and says, where's my money? I'm, you know, I want that big contract. You can't give them all big contracts, so you have to be able to develop players. Mike speaking, Richard- just 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 before we move on for the Kansas City Chiefs as well. Speaking of giving out big contracts, obviously they lost Tyron Matthew in uh, free agency, and they they brought in Brian Cook from Cincinnati, who I, I don't any no one was really talking about before the draft. If there was ever an NFL built safety coming out of college, Cincinnati's Brian Cook, absolute monster, and I think he's a guy that will um, that will, will go on to have a solid career in Kansas City. Yeah, and and again, I think you know. Again, talk about the corner. I tell you, you you put Elam's tape on, and and you know, it ain't close. It ain't close. Elam's better looking kid. He's got better measurables. He's longer. He's got all that stuff going for him. But I didn't think he played. Didn't impact the game nearly as much as we saw the other guy do. I and and again, I just the Chiefs just seem to have a. a pulse on exactly what it is they they want to draft mikey richardson who's a big colts fan said he was happy with the colts day two moves we'll get to that in a second cam go ahead and hit hit us hit us with with your take on the sorry i missed that last bit no i would like to just just get a feel from for you about how you felt kansas city did yeah i kind of kind of mentioned i love that the leo chanel pick that was one of my favorite picks in the draft, just really athletic, smart guy to partner with, with Nick Bolton at linebacker and Willie Gay, just sets him up for, for the next decade. And like Ollie said, just... All right, now that's the one I wanted to talk to you about because Bolton, when they drafted Bolton last year, the talk was that, you know, tackling machine at Missouri, but wouldn't be able to be on the field more than a special teams player in the National Football League because they thought he had limited 
range, limited physical skills as a as a as a backer in regular defensive situations. And I and he proved everybody wrong. Now Chanel, who I really liked, I mean, but didn't for some reason never got much hype in the pre-draft. Every everything that I saw said, oh, that kid, that kid will go to New England because he'll fit in that New England system. Big linebacker, smart, tough, you know, played, you know, played in a real complex defense for college defenses at uh, at Wisconsin. Can they get both those two big guys on the field and still be athletic enough, you think? I think so, yeah. I think at times we saw Leo Chanel do a lot. He kind of came up to the line of scrimmage if need be, kind of, Gave quarterbacks a lot of pre and post snap reads where you would kind of alter their, their look of the field. And I think he's a really smart player. And that's how that's how they used him in college to, to kind of alter the, this look that quarterbacks had once they turned and come back from play action, etc. And I think, yeah, he doesn't stand out. I, I mean, his measurables aren't emphatic, but I just, I really liked the angles he takes as a kind of tackler. Just the, when he goes into a tackle, he hits the, the, the timing he now is every single time. And I love that about him. Shuts down, uh, shuts down space a lot, a lot better than people thought. And I think you can rotate the two guys. And I just think that they offer so much versatility that you can coach them to, to be better players as well. And I, I do like the idea of them playing together. All right, here's, here's one from Nick Steger. And this will get us, this, will, this is a nice little segue into the Colts. He said, Chris Ballard is the draft king. So I expect the 22 intake will be good but fly under the radar right now. I thought the Colts did a good job of drafting to need. I thought they really filled some areas where they really needed help. Yeah, they definitely did. And, and Cam mentioned Alec Pierce um, as one of his favorite picks from the draft. And Alec Pierce at, uh, at 53. I was I was quite surprised that Alec Pierce was still there at 53 because I, I looked at the Chicago Bears as a team that um, would be an ideal landing spot for Alec Pierce. Um, and... A team, you know, we talk about team hitting needs early on. Whereas the Indianapolis Colts hit needs throughout the draft, I thought the Bears were an interesting team in in terms of how they went about their business. Certainly with the opening picks that they had, but yeah, the Indianapolis Colts. Alec Pierce was a great uh, draft pick to start with. Jelani Woods, an ascending tight end prospect in this class. Big, tall. I don't think you can be in any doubt what um, the Indianapolis Colts wanted to do for Matt Ryan when you look at this class. You've got Alex Pierce, who's the best part of six foot three. You've got Jelani Woods, who's the best part of six foot seven with 400 inch arms or whatever it is that, he, that he's got down there. Andrew Ogletree, the tight end out of Youngstown State, is a guy that not a lot of people will have heard of before the draft. But this kid um, tested off the charts at the um, he was at the Miami of Ohio Pro Day. Absolutely tested off the charts. Draw, drew the attention of um, a lot of NFL teams there, including the New York Jets. He played um, incredibly well at the Hula Bowl as well. Put together a two-play st- stretch, which kind of showcased everything that you want to see from a tight end slash big wide receiver. So you look at those three offensive guys that they added in terms of playmaking weapons for for Matt Ryan at the Colts, big, tall guys who can stretch the field with athleticism. Um, And then you look at um, Bernard Raymond at 77, a guy who earned some first-round hype. I don't think it was ever warranted, but the hype was there. Colts get a future left tackle uh, in Bernard Raymond. Nick Cross for safety out of Maryland, another exceptional athlete who really good played player. 
He's so good. Played a lot of single high at Maryland. Um, just with the the athleticism that he'd got allowed, they kind of that's what they needed him to do. But he'd come downhill and hit you in the mouth as hard as any safety in this class. Um, Eric Johnson out of Missouri State. I was lucky enough to, to sit down with Eric Johnson, a kid who um, had come out of nowhere um, and went to the um, went to the East West Shrine Bowl and then got on a plane and was nearly back home when the Senior Bowl rang. And said, "Look, come on down to Mobile. We want to show, um, we want you to show what you can do to to the scouts down here." And he ascended throughout the process. And um, a real interesting player who slammed on something like seventy pound while he was at Missouri State. Um, arrived there as a two thirty pound defensive end prospect, and now is one of the most athletic and versatile um, players on that de- defensive front. And then you look at. Even the UDFAs that they bought in, they, a guy like Ryan Van Der Mark out of UConn, big, tall, right tackle, very athletic, intelligent, plays with independent hands. I think the Colts, even after the draft, in the eighth round, they were still hitting it out of the park with the guys that they bought in. So, yeah, I, I really like the Colts draft. Well, I, I tell you what, they came and signed a tight end that we had last year, uh, Nikolai Klinic. And, you know, I, I was I was really optimistic for Nico. And then they go ahead and take two tight ends in the draft. So I'm not so sure. I'm so optimistic about Nico's chances anymore. Cam, you feel the same way, or what were your what was your take on the Colts? Yeah, I love the the Jelani Woods pick. I just thought, I mean, all right. Now he, wait a second. The now, first... Let's talk about this one because I know this is this is one that that was I think you described it in the lead up to the draft because I follow both you guys and I and I read what you write. One of the most, I think you called him one of the most polarizing players in the draft, right? Why, in your opinion, was he so polarizing? I think the the opinion a lot of people had when you watch the tape and then you kind of see him in pre-draft testing is a lot of people said the athleticism doesn't translate into the field as much as you, you might expect it to. And look, there, there are examples of that, but then you also take into account that he's only been running routes properly for, for a season, really. And is still going to come along and you put him in a system with the Colts where you pair him up with Marley Cox with tight splits. You can use him as a, just a a vision impairer kind of blockade. And then you can catch teams off guard where you sneak him in as a blocker and kind of unleash him as this receiver at the slot, or you can put him outside as well. And I think that was the main thing. People didn't think that the size uh, translated onto the field and obviously that the release isn't that enthralling, but it's good enough when when you kind of put him at the, the tip of a, a three-man bunch on the outside, it causes all kind of chaos and playing empty backfield, creating one-on-one matchups. You're leaving one guy to cover Jelani Woods and even if you keep up with him, throw it up, you lob it up to him and he'll make the catch. And some, some of the catches were, weren't were hand catches, which weren't great, but then he also kind of balanced that out with, with nice snatch and grab catches that kind of made you think, oh, maybe, like you say, again, he, he's still learning this position in a way. And I think in terms of the potential, you look at the ceiling, that's what excites you the most. And when you, like you say, when you pair him with Mo Ali Cox, that is a ridiculous kind of tight end duo that you just, you're excited to see how they use him. I do think his release is actually better than people giving credit for. He is, it does kind of hit and miss at times, but I do think he'll be a, in the Colts. He had to go to the right place. And I think the Colts is a good place for him to go. And as long as he keeps learning, I would expect him to be an impact player. Well, you know, that's a scheme fit issue, and I and I agree with you. I think the Colts will be a great place for him. They've got a, an offense and a, and a quarterback that will really help that young kid develop because I've heard, I've heard uh, 
the receiver coach at, at uh, the Colts said it's spooky how much Matt Ryan is like Peyton Manning in terms of his preparation, his time in the building, his understanding of football, all of those kind of things. And that really translates well for those young receivers. I got Jonathan Charles Barker says, hi, coach. What do you make of the 49ers draft? All right. Cam, give us a lowdown on the 49ers draft. Oh, man, I have to remind myself of who that actually picked. <laughs> Too many teams. Go, go to Ollie. I'm just re-handing my notes. <laughs> I, uh, so I, I, the, the 49ers was an interesting one. I I liked a number of their picks. Um, I liked the pick of Drake Jackson with the first pick that they had at the the, um, the bottom of the, the second round because this is a kid who um, is as athletic as they come. He is... Um, Blessed with um, the ability to 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 win with a number of uh, pass rush moves, powerful. He can be strong for his size. His his weight has fluctuated throughout his career, and his usage has fluctuated throughout his career. And that was to do with illness. And it it, it never felt like at USC he ever lived up to the potential because they. When he lost all the weight through illness, they kept him at that weight and they played him as a pure 3-4 outside backer, having started his career as a defensive end. Um, but I think there's a lot to love about Drake Jackson's game. And eventually, if you coach him upright, he can be an incredible, potent pass rush force opposite Nick Bowser. So I love that pick. I, one of my favourite picks of the draft was Danny Gray to the San Francisco 49ers, the wide receiver out of SMU. You want a guy who stretches the field with speed, Danny Gray's your man. You want a guy who can add after the catch yardage because he's got the acceleration, the burst, and the long speed? Danny Gray's your man. You want a guy who plays taller than his size? Because SMU listed him at something like 6'1". And you watch the tape and you're like, yeah, yeah, I reckon that kid, can't, that kid is 6'1". He measures in at the senior bowl at like 5'11", 5'10 and a half or whatever it was. And you're like, oh, because this this kid this kid plays up to the size that he was listed at SMU, and some some guys, you know, you look at them and you go, "There's no way this kid is whatever the the, the college list him as." You Bryce Young in this cycle, there's no way Bryce Young is the same cycle uh, same size as what Alabama list him at. He's he's five ten if he's you know just under five eleven, whatever. But um, Danny Gray plays up to the size he was listed at, despite being smaller. He's a guy that go into Mike Shanahan's offense and um, Kyle Shanahan's offense. Sorry. And I think he can be a game changer for the San Francisco 49ers offense. They got him at pick 105. That's a pick that I would have loved to have seen the Patriots make when they took Tyquan Thornton. Yeah, um, I agree. In, I agree in all with honesty. That because I think, you know, these kids, you got to, SMU's had a real good run on receivers since Emmanuel started started the process a few years ago. And they've all been right about that place when you, in the drafts, selection process they've all been third to fifth round guys and have all have gone on and, and had good careers you know obviously <clears throat> Emmanuel Cole Beasley was a free agent uh, Aldrick Robinson drafted in about that place you know the, again and you just look at that program and it's just churns out wide receivers Cam talk about the Niners and who you who you like on the Niners yeah, thanks, Wally, for reminding me of uh, Danny Gray. That, uh, I'd lost that note. But, uh, yeah, I, the, the first thing I kind of wrote about Danny Gray is that I think we'll see a lot of Trey Lance kind of bootlegging in terms of working outside the pocket. And with a guy like Danny Gray, who has that, not only that speed, that flatline speed, but the, that secondary route as well, and that, that ability to to make quick direction, uh, direction changes and produce those secondary third routes that 
are going to give Trey Lance an option if he if he misses his first read, if he misses his second read. I think he's a great guy for something like that. His stop and go kind of stutter is really good, and that that helps a, a rookie running back, a, a rookie quarterback in terms of if if you've kind of hesitated on that first read, here's a guy that can can give you that second option in, in a flash. And so I think you can never give your young quarterback enough speed or enough good good talent on the outside. And, and someone who in that offense as well, we we see how Carl Shanahan uses these guys. Speed, you can use them in all kinds of different ways. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him a lot kind of get sweeping through the backfield and kind of being used as his decoy option, all these kind of smoke and mirrors around the line of scrimmage just to help Trey Lance that extra bit. And it can do no harm. And just it's it's easy to be enamored by speed. It's another thing to use it. And I think there's probably nobody better at finding a way to use a receiver like that than than Kyle Shanahan. Well, you know, and you look look at you look at Gray uh, at SMU, and he was he did have position flexibility. He wasn't a guy that just had to be static on the line outside wide. He could play inside in the slot. They moved around and did a lot of really good things with him. Uh, I want to go to a, a really really interesting one to me because I had said I really like this kid prior to the draft. And then, and there was a, there was some, I would say more than a little negativity about him. And then he had a great pro day and his stock shot back up. And I'm talking about Derek Stingley and you guys, do you think, and I'm going to give you a choice, Stingley or Sauce? After you, Cam. I I would say Stingley. Just I mean, it's hard when it's the Texans who pick it. If it's another team that picks him, I'm think I'm far more confident saying that. But I just think that that freshman year was so good, off the charts good, just in terms of what we saw from him. I, I don't think it's that cliche saying kind of class is permanent, but I do think that talent is still there and two years kind of COVID played a massive role in him not getting that time on the field and kind of disrupting his development, et cetera. But I still think he is that blue chip cornerback, that that kind of the, the best talent guy, one of the best talent guys in that first round. It, it, and he's so hard to ignore when he's there at three. So I, I was I would still say Stingley. And just because Garda maybe exploded last year and how many times have we seen a breakout year like that come to, to not a lot in the NFL. So... I mean, you could, you could throw it both ways, but I would still say Stingley, I think. All right, Ali? I'd take Andrew Booth Jr., the cornerback. <laughs> I, um, I, I would. I, I would personally. But between between Sauce and Stingley, it's, they were very, very close to each other on my board. Um, and I think what I look at with Derek Stingley is he is an elite athlete and in the NFL. As you look at the, the wide receivers that we've got and we've talked about you know, so far tonight, you you have to be an elite athlete, I think, now to play cornerback at a high level in the NFL. And and Derek Stingley, as long as he want, we, we we said it when we talk cornerbacks, as long as he wants to be great, I think Derek Stingley can be great. He's got the athleticism. You watch him as a technician; he's an, an elite technician as well. So he ticks two of the boxes that you're looking at when you're evaluating cornerback play. Um, as it, it doesn't look like there's going to be any long term. Um, issues where his health is concerned. Um, because of this Frank thing you're talking about? Yeah. You, he looks like 
to me at the pro day, he looked like and this is what I wanted to take the testing off the board, take take the times off the board, take the vertical jump off the board, take all that crap off the board. Look at Derek Stingley move at the LSU pro day on on during on field drills, and I think that's what you wanted to see in terms of can we take this guy at three because he moved so fluidly, he had no problem planting his feet, he had no problem with his back pedal. During the, and, and yeah, it's on air. It's on air. Yeah, I get that. But you wanted to see him be able to move fluidly without any being encumbered by any of the, the, the side effects of the surgery of the list rank injury. And, and I think he showed that at the pro day. And I think that's why the Houston Texans probably felt comfortable going on the clock at three. Let's take him. Let's take Derek Stingley because he can be, he can be a, a a, a game-changing piece for a, a secondary and a team like the Houston Texans, where they need to rebuild pretty much everywhere. I think that's where you start. You start with um, being able to to impact the passing game from the secondary and, and build it out from from front to back. Well, I, I don't think there's any question either. Both that's of them, right. if they're healthy and and you know motivated and all of that have the physical ability to be great corners in the, in the national football league for a long time. All right. I got one last question for you and you don't even have to, you don't even have to expound on it. All I need is your call. Who had the worst draft in the national football league in 2022? Cam, I'm going to start with you. Who is your oh, bottom man. of the barrel draft in 2022? It's really hard. I mean, maybe, maybe, it's harsh. I'd put the Bears down towards the bottom, even though I like the first two picks, and I think they're two immediate starting guys in the secondary. You've got to help Justin Fields a little bit more, I think. I mean, you look at what they've left him. I get Velas Jones is your speed guy, and he's going to stretch the field for you, but he's not. you can't put that much pressure on him and then Darnell Mooney to, to kind of carry this workload on the Bears, and I just think, yeah, I didn't, didn't like the Bears. Pick at all. All right, hold on, hold on. I got I got a tight end from the Baltimore Colts on the line right now. Nico. <laughs> I'm doing my podcast. I want you to say say, say hello to everybody in, in throughout Europe and the world. This is Nico Kalinic. <laughs> Everybody's good. Hey, I'll call you back. We were just talking about you. We were just talking about you. you. Saw those tight ends come off the board in Indianapolis. I said, I better call my. <laughs> how's how's minicamp going? All right, keep be- just put, just put him on speakerphone. All right, brother, talk to you later. That price. <laughs> uh, that that was a moment right there. That's a that podcast moment. Where- Should have put him on speakerphone. Yeah. I, you know, I can't. You know how I am with technology. <laughs> All right, Ollie, your turn. Who is the bottom of the barrel draft for you? Man, there was a few teams, to be honest with you. I'm with Cam with you. one now. You got, you can't just say no, one team. I really didn't like what the New Orleans Saints did. I've got to be honest with you. Um, I, I love Chris Olave as a wide receiver. I think ultimately it could eventually be that what they – gave up to get Chris Olave doesn't really matter. But right now, when you look at the capital that they put into getting Chris Olave, that felt a little too much for me. I didn't like the selection of Trevor Penning. 
Trevor Penning, for me, was a huge reach. I mean, they get that they need a left tackle. And this was going to be always the issue for the New Orleans Saints because they're in a dead spot. They're in a blind spot where offensive tackle was concerned. Once Charles Cross went, once Evan Neal went, once Ikema Kwanu went, the New Orleans Saints were in a dead spot where they were picking for an offensive tackle. And I said all along, I think that's what they, they traded with the Philadelphia Eagles to get those two picks because they wanted a tackle and a wide receiver. They got a lot of they. They stuck with Trevor Penning. It may work out. I, I just I think for me, 19th overall selection, he was like the 48th ranked guy on my board. Um, well, it's, interesting. Time- it's interesting because Daniel Jeremiah had him as the third ranked offensive tackle, and I just could not see it. I thought Penning was a bully against, you know, and he, and I'd give him credit. He took that same attitude to the, to the senior bowl and you saw it, but let me tell you something. He's going to walk into training camp and Cam Jordan's going to get upside his head. The first time he, he cheap shots, Cam Jordan in a pass rush drill. So I think that kid's got a lot to learn before he's a, he's an effective tackle. He's not, he's, he's certainly not to Armstead right now. And it is a, it is a, reach that was a reach fellas it has been awesome because obviously we're talking to the guys that are most knowledgeable about the draft in the uk thank you very much for coming in today and and being with the show uh we want to stay with you guys through the off season and talk a little bit more in depth throughout when we talk about the teams we go through each team and you can come on in and talk to us about the young players and then heading towards the draft we're going to start way earlier on the draft this year and start with your mock drafts well before the college football season even starts because it's really interesting to see how a guy rises and falls over the course of his 12, you know 10 or 12 game college season. Men, appreciate you very much. Did a great job. I, I loved everything that you guys wrote and did throughout the draft process. Thanks, Jeff. Cheers, Jeff. Appreciate that. All right. Michael, come on back in here. All right, I know you've got to run. You've got to talk to Tom Telesco from the, from the Chargers, but don't give it a shout that here just very quickly. That was really that was a really really good chat, and that was great to hear uh, Cameron there, and also for Ollie, like Ollie's been on the last few weeks, and thanks so much to Ollie for his help and for Cameron coming on. He's been on a few times this off season, so thanks so much, lads. I know everyone really enjoyed it, and there was really really good engagement. And yes, I have to go. I'm talking to Tom Telesco. How so about, we'll do this next week? A, yeah. How about us getting an NFL tight end calling? into the show during the show i mean i tell you what let's get another one next week colin thompson yeah all right let's get it i have nico come in calling next week and talk about what it's like to go through minicamp no tas right now let's do it and we'll go for longer than an hour next week (laughs) cheers jeff (laughs) all right see you buddy